Scripture this evening is from from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Oh, sorry. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. A friend recently sent me a, a blog post that uh, I thought was really well done, and I can't read all of it to you, but um, I'll just read a little bit, and if you, if you want to find it, I, I put it on my Facebook page. I'm going through a divorce. I don't say that flippantly. After 19 years of marriage and four children, I never imagined those words would be true of my life. But here I am living it. When I was a sophomore in college, I lost my fake ID and joined a campus ministry all in the same week. (laughs) That's a good description of conversion, isn't it? Um, The changes in me were a shock. I had been a waitress at a Hooters-type restaurant only a few weeks later, signed up for a Bible study with the same enthusiasm. Initially, I was warmly welcomed at Bible study, but then came the rules. Though unspoken at times, the weight of how-to Christianity grew heavier and louder than the simple message from the one who says, done. Although there was no rest for the weary, it felt good to me. I drew security from making a list and checking it off. Within this system of to-dos, I knew what to check off to get validation, influence, and respect. Now, I'm not saying I perfectly checked these off, but I busted it trying. Modesty, spiritual discipline, serving others, disciple others, local church involvement, courtship, accountability, sin management, sanctification, biblical fellowship, Titus 2, purity before marriage, following teaching on biblical roles, submission, homemaker, biblical marriage to exemplify the gospel, homeschool children, shepherd their heart, love them, train them, check, check, check. The thing about living this way, besides not seeing my need for grace and not getting better, is that it affected those around me too. As I checked off my boxes, I made sure others were checking off theirs, too. I was a real sweetheart to be around. I own the damage I did to others, but after 22 years of living under the law, it finally crushed me and my marriage. Truthfully, my marriage had been unraveling for years. Within the religious system we subscribe to, and I don't know this woman, I don't know where she goes to Our narrowly defined marriage roles did not give freedom or space to just be. It was a constant drive toward doing. I managed by trying to control my fear, and he managed by living in denial. And that's how we coped. When God's love breaks through, it brings an awareness of truth that is both terribly painful and beautifully freeing. His grace is awakening me to the truth of my marriage was doing that while piercing me at my deepest fears. And four years ago, God had not rescued me from my performance-based lifestyle to his finished work. I'd be utterly devastated right now that I'm divorced and my kids are with their father today. 
It's funny because I do less these days, but I'm more certain of his relentless love for me in my fiercest time of uncertainty. My identity was so built on being a wife and mom. Now my identity is beloved. What can shake who I am if he says it's true? It's so crazy how living loved affects all those things I tried so blank hard to gain through my performance. I just thought that was a very powerful word. Uh, And I would encourage you to read the whole thing because I chopped it up and didn't do it justice. I obviously don't know what she's going through, but I, I know a lot about struggling to embrace a non-performance-based Christianity. I think a lot of us do. A lot of us are struggling to become free in Christ. You know, when you look at the New Testament, the, the specter of legalism lurks behind nearly every letter. And it's if, you know, I don't remember much about physics. Actually, I remember like nothing about physics. <laughs> Except the second law of thermodynamics. I think my son's room always reminded me of this. That that all things move from order to disorder. (laughs) That that's one of the fundamental principles of the universe is decline. That's probably why when I looked up and saw all the letters wobbling, (laughs) I thought, I hope they're seeing it too. Or here goes goes my body yet again. Um, But I I think there is like a spiritual second law of thermodynamics that says... Somehow we have this natural inborn tendency to move away from grace towards a performance-based spirituality. It's just like it's hardwired into us. A few years ago, we we studied the, the letter to the Galatians, and we talked about the gospel of Jesus plus. And I think this is what Paul is warning us about here. And if we have that slide... You could come up with your own list, but I just, just to remind you, if you weren't here, the gospel of Jesus plus is what they were preaching to the Philippians, and it's what Paul is referring to here when he says that they were dogs. Um, it's where I'm saying I contact with God and anticipate that God will or must bless me when I trust in Jesus, plus make an offering of good works, plus get circumcised. That was the issue in their day. Sure, you believe in the gospel, but you also need to be circumcised. We don't. That's not our issue. We have our own issues. Uh, Jesus plus the quality of my devotional life makes me right with God. Jesus plus the sincerity of my motives. Jesus plus my generosity towards others. Jesus plus the length of time since I last messed up. Jesus plus the depth of my repentance. Jesus plus my regular attendance at church or Bible study. Jesus plus my orthodox beliefs. Jesus plus my feelings of being close to God. Jesus plus my absence of doubt. Jesus plus my ability to make broken relationships right. Now, the the, the subtle, insidious thing about all of this, right, is those are all important. We're supposed to do all of that stuff. But when you trust in your performance of those good works as what makes you right with God, that's when you've moved into Legalism. You've moved into what Paul is talking about there in chapter 3, 
Verse 2, when he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And that's a, in the Greek particularly, it's a very crude word. And, and what they were teaching was, yes, Jesus saves you. We get the gospel, but you also need to add something. You need to add circumcision. And so Paul uses very, very harsh words to challenge those false teachers. You know, Paul begins his whole letter to the Philippians with grace and peace to you. That's really a summary of the gospel, that when we live under grace, when we understand that we're made right with God through grace, and that we live now in His presence only by His grace, we live in peace. Now, I think if we look at these first three verses, and really the whole idea goes down through verse 11, and we'll finish that up next week, but I I think if we kind of dig into what he says here, you you can see a couple characteristics about what life under grace looks like. And and I'd like you to use this as kind of a diagnostic tool tonight, so that you you might be aware of where you're possibly slipping back into a Jesus Plus gospel, where you might be losing your freedom a little bit. And I think we find that the first characteristic of, of this kind of grace-based life right there in verse 1, we, when we live under grace, we live in the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. That, that, that if you're looking for a little summary of the gospel, those three words are, are about as good as you're going to get to be a Christian is to live in the Lord. Paul spends all of Romans 6 trying to develop this beautiful idea. Don't you know, we've all been baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, buried with him into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul's saying, look, this is not like all the other religions in the Roman Empire. The the, the Latin word for religion is religio, the root word. It means to bind or to be in bondage. And the idea was that you would appease the gods by binding yourself to them and keeping their rules. And what Paul is, is desperately trying to show is that's not Christianity. It's not binding yourself to a set of rules to appease an angry god. Christianity is being in the Lord. It is through faith uniting with the Lord in a love relationship out of which births life. It's being in the Lord. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So instead of the church imposing upon you a morality that you you then struggle to adhere to, the church helps you cultivate and nurture that life within you that grows and takes over you and then spills out in a beautiful life. It's, It's such a fundamental difference, but it's such an easy one to miss. How is that for you tonight? 
I mean, do you know anything of life in the Lord? Do you know anything of his life being released from you naturally as you walk with him? You know, we've used this illustration, but I'll use it again. Humor me. Um, you go into an, a forest in the spring, and you don't hear as all the trees are forcing their fruit out. It just comes out because of the sap, the life that's within them. I think that's what it means to live in the Lord. The fruits come out. Jesus talks about abiding in him. Well, another thing that that happens when we live under grace, Paul says, is we worship in the Spirit. He says, we're the real circumcision. In other words, we're, we're the real people of faith. We're the people who really understand the gospel because we worship by the Spirit of God. Now, now this is a really interesting uh, way to get into this whole diagnostic process of whether or not I'm living by grace. Paul says, okay, tell you what, one, one of the things you can test to see if you're living under grace is your worship. What's your worship like? The prophets often criticize Israel for uh, their worship becoming dead and dry through Amos. I hate, I despise your feasts, God says. I take no delight in your worship services. Take away from me the noise of your songs. It's very easy for our worship to dry up. Paul says one of the things that happens when you cultivate that in the Lord intimacy is the Spirit nurtures in you a worshiping heart. Not just 30 minutes on Sunday night, but it just becomes part of your life to praise Him. It's the intimate language of love. Yesterday was a, was a very hard day in East Knoxville. Um, it was particularly hard for, for everyone that came out to uh, uh, the funeral service at, for uh, Zavion. And there were a lot of, a lot of images that will stick with me forever from yesterday. But the, the one that I remember the most, that was most powerful for me, happened after it was all over. And uh, they, the, the Fulton football team had all been pallbearers. They all had their, their uniforms on. And the coach was with them, and they took their fallen teammate, and they hauled him all the way through the sanctuary, and they put him in the hearse. And there were about 50 cars in a processional. I'd never seen anything like this. A motorcycle gang was there that followed the processional. There were police officers, media. It was just bizarre almost. And the service you know, went on about <coughs> three hours. And when it was over, there were uh, three uh, women from from overcoming believers that were standing in a little kind of triangle like this. And I, I knew them, and so we were talking, and they're just delightful women. They, I, I don't mean this inappropriately at all, but have you ever read the book The Shack? 
and the Holy Spirit is an African-American woman, <laughs> I felt like I was in the shack. I mean, there was just love, like just flowing all over the place. And so we're, we're talking, and um, this little boy, I bet he's about seven, comes wandering down the hall, and he comes up to one of them, and he says, um, my uncle left, and I, I don't know how to get home. And I'm trying to think, I wonder what that's like for him. And then, I've never quite seen anything like this. Somehow, this little boy was swallowed up by these three women and disappeared into their arms. It was just like this love uh, black hole that just sucked them in, and he just kind of disappeared into all this love, and he just kind of cried against the breast of, of one of the ladies. And and then one of them said, it's okay, honey. We're a village. You'll get home. And for some reason, of all the, the pictures from yesterday, that's the one that stuck with me. And, and I, I think, for me at least, it's a picture of, of worship. It, it, it's a picture, I think, of if you really feel loved, like we sang about tonight, if you, if you have any sense of connection with the Father's love that way, and you feel a little bit lost on your way, and you're not sure how you're going to get home, and you come to him, and he takes you into his arms, and you just weep softly in his chest, or her chest, and we're getting into all sorts of goofy theology metaphors tonight, but you know what I'm saying. That's worship. And if, if you're... If you're living under grace, if, if, you, if you're starting to grasp a little bit of, of who God is and how he loves you, and you're starting to shed a little bit of the shackles of this performance-based thing, where you've got to perform, I think what happens is you just start to worship. You just can't help it. You just start to cry on his chest. Well, the last characteristic he mentions of a living under grace, he says that, that they, they grasp the gospel, the glory in Christ Jesus, and they put no confidence in the flesh. They put no confidence in the flesh. There's no Jesus plus. There's this uh, powerful sermon se- series by a guy named Tullian Chavidian called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I thought, wow, that's a great... Summary of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so, so Paul is saying, we get that. And where this goes, I think, when you understand that that's not only how you get into the family, but that's how you stay in the family, right? That's not the same thing. That I got in through grace and I stay in through grace. I got in through faith and I stay in through faith. I got saved by faith. I grow by faith. When you realize it's both, that the whole deal, the rest of my life is by grace, that he does it through me, that he's responsible. That starts to chip away at this performance thing that we all struggle with. And it's so insidious. I know you probably don't even know when you're doing it. I know that I don't always know when I'm putting it on you. 
But I think we all struggle with trusting in the flesh. We're saved by grace, then we work it out on our own. And I think that's why we do this animal in a treadmill thing. Now, this week was a wonderful week, just great time with kids uh, for, for Sandy and I. They're all home for about three days, overlapped. And we get them like that once a year. I also got, got a little sick, and we had an extra service, and I, I had a little extra work to do. I wound up going to two funerals yesterday. I wanted to make sure I got time with each child, but I also wanted to make sure I did my job well. And I, uh, I didn't prepare as much for today. And when I was getting ready to come down here tonight, I, 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 I felt kind of anxious about preaching, and this little voice was in my head saying, it's not going to go. You didn't put in the time. Now, it may not be going, <laughs> but would that really be how God works? That doesn't sound like God, does it? Yeah, I don't think that's God. And then something strange happened. I was trying to describe the sermon to some folks beforehand. And uh, I was actually up in the pre-service prayer at four. And I forgot a point. I just couldn't call it back. And then I heard this voice. You're getting old. And then I heard this voice, and they're not going to want you. And then I heard this voice. You better be really excited tonight and good. Now, I just count, you know, show you my dirty laundry here. You got some too. I know you do. I love you. I talk with you all the time. You got it too. Somewhere in there is this false belief that you've got to get your uh, things together or God's not going to please you. And that the reason why you're not married is because there's something wrong with you. And do you ever notice how we preachers can implicitly slip that in there? Oh, God knew I needed someone to be married to. So he gave me a wife. I wasn't ready for marriage. I had some stuff to grow through, and then he gave me a wife. What does that say to you if you're single? Daniel, hmm, you got a lot more growth, buddy, or you'd be married. That's what I'm saying, right? That's not true. Last time I checked, our Lord wasn't married. I can't figure out if Paul was. If he was, he didn't spend a lot of time with her. <laughs> Half of America's not married. I just, I'm just so aware how subtle this stuff is. My son, we had such a good time, and he's such a happy young man, and he's just loving life, and he's got so much energy. I, I need a nap after about an hour and a half with him. And I, 
I just texted him. He's driving back to Texas right now. And I texted him and I said, your happiness makes me happy. And then I thought, what did I just do? And I texted him back. And if you're never happy, it's still okay. And <laughs> I put him under the law. It, I, I've been listening to the, I listen to the New York Times podcast when I vacuum, okay? This is how exciting <laughs> life is. And uh, this week's book was on, I don't mean to be irreverent, but it was on lactivism. I'm probably saying it wrong. Breastfeeding? And this is a secular book. I probably shouldn't go here, but now that I'm going there, um, this is not a faith-based book on breastfeeding. I tend not to read those, but this... She was talking, the author was talking about all the pressure she felt and the shame she felt because she didn't breastfeed her child. And the whole, it's like 300 pages on that, you know? So I guess this is a, this is a big deal. But I think it just shows we never are doing enough. We're never doing enough. Now, I'll end with this question. I, I think there's, there's a, a way to kind of figure out if I'm growing in this at all. And it's comes out of a conversation I had with uh, Dan and Roy from Global Seeds. It's good to have people in your life who've lived in other cultures because you, you learn a lot by living in other cultures and you realize that this is not the only way to think. And uh, Dan said, you know, one of the biggest differences between living in the jungle in the Philippines, where they lived for about a dozen years, I think, and where we are now, is the way they think about time. He said, when you're a rural villager in the Philippines, you think time's unlimited. And so if we don't get to it today, we'll just get to it tomorrow. We've got all the time in the world. It's probably like that in Kenya too, Danny, and places like that. And in the West, in America, time is very limited, right? You've got to get it done now. And if you don't, you'll never catch up. And by the way, Amazon, two days is not enough. I want a drone to bring my discount underwear. I cannot wait. Now, what does that do to me spiritually when I'm Amazoned? When you're going to put me out of business if I can't figure out how to do it faster and better and quicker, what does that, what does that do to my soul? I think it's deadly. I think it just cooks up this whole performance-based, fast-pedaling thing. And the Bible has an antidote for it. Fourth commandment. The Sabbath. Turner gave me a great book on this called Sabbath as Resistance. And the whole point of the book is our culture's sick. And the way it thinks about time and productivity, and consumption, and doing, and work. And it has no idea about rest. And so God commands a Sabbath so that we can tell the word to stick it. Just, that's not who I am. I'm not buying it. I'm not living that way. One day a week, I'm shutting it down, and I'm, I'm resting. How you doing at your Sabbath? 
Now, I've been trying Sabbath now for about five years. And I, I, I've been honest with you about this. I find myself often making a list of all the things that will be restful for me that given day and then becoming anxious when I get behind on not accomplishing all the restful things I want to do. You're laughing. Come on. You're there too. Come on, you're there too. If we can't Sabbath, we've bought into the illusion that it's all about me. And that somehow, if I don't return that email, the world's not going to spin. It's a lie. It's a lie. Just the last image, I actually went to um, two of the funerals yesterday. Uh, the first one was over at uh, Mount Moriah over in Mechanicsville. And it was the boy that was apparently involved in the shooting of Xavion and then got shot himself and died in a car crash. And the next morning, people don't know exactly all the what happened. He um, grew up in church. And it was a room a little less full than this. Open casket, had his best sweater on. Mama's sitting right there. And uh, in, in the in the this, these particular services, they would they close the casket at the at the start. And, and oh my goodness, the, the the wailing at that at that point. And and the mama cries out, "God, I need you now." So leave there, go over to Zavion, open casket, all the same thing. 100 football players around, mama, son, close the casket, scream, God, I need you now. And it occurred to me that even though the one boy was a hero and the one boy was a bad boy, both mamas were sitting in the casket crying out for grace. Isn't that really where we all are? Some of you are heroes. Some of us are bad boys. But at the end of the day, the best thing we could do when God shuts the casket on our dreams is just to cry out. God, I need you now. Let's pray. Thank you.